Hello, this is Matt Hale on Resonance 104.4 FM with Art Monthly, and I'm joined today by Gilda Williams and Maria Walsh. Hello. And they've both um, written in Art Monthly. Hello, Maria. Hello. Sorry, I thought we'd better hear your voice. So when <laughs> listeners will know who's saying what, hopefully, if I don't say your name when you speak. Now, um, Julie, you've written a feature for us, um, mm. which we've called It Was What It Was, Modern Ruins. I'm not quite sure what you called it. Do oh, you... that was it. Well, that was it. Great. We don't always use the author's title, but this time we have. Great. OK. Well, I stole it from Jeremy Deller. It's the name of a work of his. So. OK. So oh. he deserves the real credit. Oh, that's good of you. Very, very generous. <laughs> <laughs> but can I just, I mean, let's get talking. What, what was the work? Oh, well, he did a, a terrific piece last year at the New Museum where he had a number of different discussions at the New Museum about the Iraqi war and the experience there and then from there left for a sort of tour across the United States with two vehicles. One was a top-of-the-line uh, sort of trailer uh, and in the back uh, the sort of burnt-out husk of a crumpled car that had bomb been bombed in Iraq. So it's sort of the before and after effects yes. of uh, sort of the um, affair, love affair the Americans have with the open road and our reliance on patrol. And um, and it, he was, it was a very, very effective use, I think, of a ruin, the crumpled car. And it was a mobile ruin, which is rather an unusual... Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, about the car, because, mm. I mean, in America... It would probably could be called a wreck, <laughs> not a yeah, ruin. No, a derelict. Uh, a derelict, would it? You know, well, um, being from the US yourself, you would know more than me. <laughs> yeah, well, and it sparked a lot of discussion, not always um, necessarily on either side of the um, Iraqi war conflict. Uh, but I think that was his idea. It was a very, very visual piece. Artists have always used ruins as visual markers of um, ideas and, and, and politics and collapse. And that's, I think, he's using it in a very, very interesting and up to date way. Yeah, yeah. Now, now just quickly back to um, the programme structure, as it were. Um, Maria, you wrote a piece which we put under our film section on uh, a, a group of films by Hannah, I'm going to say the name, but I might be wrong, Sawtell, S A W T E W L, which was um, shown at the Gate Cinema, mm -hmm. which is in London, uh, in yeah. West London, I believe. That's right, yeah. 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 And, um, and I think they have these monthly um, events, so they're sort of one off, right. the Synact. Uh, which is a collaboration between the Gate Cinema and the Serpentine Gallery. Oh, yes. Yeah, this is a certain time sort of spreading itself slightly outside yeah. into the... Public events. Yeah, yeah, but not just in their own space. Yeah, yeah. Great. Um, and obviously, I mean, we're going to have a, a bash at linking your two pieces together in the programme. Um, we're not going to force it, but I think there probably are some connections. Um, but we'll just nip back to uh, Gilda's feature now. And um, basically, Gilda, you begin by saying that two words, ruin and derelict, are quite close together mm. in their meaning. Um, would you like to say a bit more about wh why you mentioned that fact? Well, I bring that up uh, because... Um there are a lot of derelicts. It's very easy and common to find a derelict. And whereas ruins, and one of the ideas in my article, are harder and harder to, to, to come by. Ruins that we actually want to look at and have some kind of meaning. Ones you um, might want to keep, do you mean? Well, is it? I mean, the example I bring is also Le Brandenburg's work on the Villa Savoie, which is, of course, Le Corbusier's modernist uh, masterpiece. And this wonderful piece that she does in that building called Singspiel, in which the, uh, the building becomes a kind of theater for a family 
a drama, and she works us through a building that was on the verge of becoming a ruin. And what she explains in the background for this work is that, in fact, the people who live there were actually left voluntarily. It was a very, very uh, shabbily built uh, modernist experiment. And so rather than really being a ruin, in a sense, it wasn't allowed to fall into ruin, uh, but it was also a derelict in, in the sense that it was an unwelcoming place as opposed to ruins, which are generally the population has been kicked out, thrown okay, out. Okay, so one's forced. One is one forced is out by man-made or natural disasters, okay, whether it's a volcano or, um, you know, political uproar. It's sure. Traditionally, a ruin is, is, is a place that has been where the, its occupants have been forced out. Okay, that was, that's, because that's quite, in, in, in terms of your piece, you're obviously drawing you know, our attention then to pieces of work that you would say were more to do with ruin? Well, it, there's, there's there's kind of three points. One is how much of the history of the 20th century is written in ruins, whether it's post-war um, Berlin or Detroit today or the World uh, Trade Center site. Uh, so much of contemporary post 20th century into the present century um, in uh, history is written in the history of ruins and how many artists are asked to recuperate ruins most notably of course at Tate uh, Bankside the building was uh, falling into ruin in the centre of London and really have had it only found its use rather miraculously and, and quite spectacularly as a, a deposit for contemporary and modern art and then of course artists like Jeremy Deller who we mentioned before use ruins so much to discuss the ideas the before and after effects that ruins, as Walter Benjamin and others have said, are so good at sort of uh, representing. Can you let, let's give some do some examples stuff here? Because well, I mean, uh, a great example, speaking of the Tate Modern, I thought was Dominique Gonzalez Forster's uh, wonderful installation in the Turbine Hall, in which she sort of returns the Tate uh, to the ruin it almost became, uh, as if there's just this brief history of the of the building as a museum. She fills the Turbine Hall with many, many, many bunk beds, yeah. as if it's a kind of a bunker in some post-apocalyptic moment where the building has to be returned to some practical use where people are kind of um, holding up against whatever which, dangers which lurk happen. outside, of course. And so we see uh, the building uh, returning from its use as a museum uh, to some other um, place, some kind of um, um, shelter uh, before the its definitive, perhaps, return to ruin. You mentioned um, another power station, don't you, um, which was up... Upstream. Yeah, upstream, up the Thames, of course, is Battersea Power Station, which, uh, those of you who've been in London, is this beautiful uh, building that's been abandoned for many, many years. It's been used occasionally for exhibitions, most notably the Chinese art show that Serpentine put up, um, and is now about to be flooded uh, with uh, the kinds of um, high-rise buildings that we associate with um, the end of the postmodern period, the end of the of, of the sort of high-rise love affair with uh, modernist buildings, and, and they're, they're sort of ignoring that particular level of architectural history and swamping that ruin, ruining the ruin, That's if you will. Right. Um, are they going to be built? You mean they're going to leave the building as it is? They're leaving they're the building. They're going to build around it, are they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's quite, it's quite distressing, I would say. Commercial uh, and residential areas, not particularly sensitive to the building, which is kind of um, in the way. <laughs> you get yeah, the feeling it's a very a big in the way, that. isn't it? Though? I mean, it's yeah, like it's not being quite recuperated as a building, though. It's sort of a landmark around which a, a yeah. whole neighbourhood is, 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 is meant to be built. Um because it's, it's an upturned table, which I remember, I remember seeing it on the front of the Animals album by Pink Floyd years ago. <laughs> yes. So it shows my age. I'm sorry about that. Anyway, but um, I mean, the, am I understanding, you said, I'm going to go back to, you said that history, the, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm struggling with the idea that, just to understand what you mean precisely about the history um, being made within or around the ruin. You were saying it's as if artists were making work 
amongst ruins. I'm being very literal because that's what I do. But Not really. I, mis- I mean, me what- I think that there's an awareness of, of how important these particular ruins um, are, as I say, from whether yeah. it's Beirut or post-Katrina. I mean, so many key moments are tied up in ruins. Yeah. And artists are looking at the possibility, again, of using ruins uh, for their sort of... Um, evocative um, yeah. possibility. Do you I mean, mean like romantically? Um, also, I mean, there's a wonderful artist, Florin Todor, who's Romanian, who goes to a ruin that's actually uh, a monastery in Romania that was actually demolished. So it's a it's a sort of ruin manque, an absent ruin. And he walks along the periphery of the building that is, is no longer. Yes. And so he's re- recreating through performance and, and moving image um, a, a ruin that has been ruined. Okay. Yes. So it's not necessarily working in a literal way with actual buildings that are in ruins, but ruins that that could have been, or ruins that we have lost. And Joachim Kester does a similar, uh, well, another kind of work where he takes the same walks that Kant, uh, Immanuel Kant, used to walk around his um, town of Königsberg, now renamed Kaliningrad, and he it's a completely unrecognizable landscape. Um, you see this sort of uh, rather bleak um, modernist in in, in quotes. Uh, um, landscape that he is kind of um, recreating what would have been the ruin, the ruin that the absent ruin yeah. uh, that Kant um, would have seen. So it's not necessarily the most literal way no. uh, looking at uh, old buildings in collapse. Do you see? I mean, is there any nostalgia in in this? I say in that work. I think there is a lot of nostalgia there. I think it, I think there's a lot of sadness in that particular work. Yeah. Um, but there's, you know, there's. Um, I mention also uh, Robert Smithson's work, Hotel Palenque, in which um, early 70s uh, Palenque, uh, Smithson goes to Mexico and recuperates, in his, if only in his mind, a sort of uh, fading cinder block hotel um, and sort of evokes it and describes it as this great sort of monument to modern architecture. I think there's a lot of humor in the way he deals with ruins in that case. And also there's... There's a lot of um, ambiguity whether he really is seeing great beauty in this sort of derelict space or not. So it doesn't need to be necessarily a sad and nostalgic operation. No, that's nice to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you mentioned Jeremy Teller in relation to ruins. What, what work were you thinking? Uh, the, the one that I described. Sorry. The, 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 the crumbled car. So it's oh, a yeah, sort of yeah, sorry, mobile the one in America, ruin. That, that one. But was, yes. that, was there any other work? Sorry, I did, I did, I'd forgotten because I was going to ask you about this, this thing about, um, you know, what, why that's a ruin. I mean, it's a ruined vehicle. Is that in, as in it's, it had a use? The use has been, it's been disabled. It can't. So yes. therefore, it's, it's ruined in that sense. I think so. I mean, that's that goes down. Are you? Is it the ruin of a man? The ruin of a place? I think it does need to be some kind of architectural or constructed. Um, object that is that is very apparently in ruin. A lot of the artificial ruins of course in the Romantic period were built as ruins. Like folly. Kind the of. Follies, but they were actually very political. People wanted to see those particular um, institutions, so particularly the Catholic Church and um, uh, feudal aristocracy in ruin. They were political messages. So it, they looked very silly like, to like, us. Like that's gone and we don't want that anymore yeah, yeah, and it there was, it is looking gone. It's Yes, and isn't that a pleasure to see these things crumbling. So it was really an announcement of the owner's and the patrons' own liberal politics at the time. And and, and artificial ruins, um, for example, these pho- photoshopped photographs uh, that were in the New York Times last summer in which they sort of really beef up these devastated um, building sites, these half-finished buildings. Yeah, like the, the, economy's fa- the economy's fallen yes. and, 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 so and there's nothing a, happening. Yeah, so it was a political economic message. Look at all the ruins that we've half-built. And in fact, it was discovered uh, that the... Um, um, 
photographer Edgar Martins had actually some had actually enhanced through Photoshop uh, the um, with the sort of ruin, the sort of yes. beauty, yes. and also the excess of the ruin in the pictures. But artificial ruins, whether they're built or or, or done with Photoshop, are of course a, a sort of a strategy that is, that is very the, very old. It's by no means new, it's it's to enhance a political message. Yes, it's really um, it's just interesting that technology yeah, has kept yeah. up with that particular yeah. use of a ruin. Now, you're listening to Art Monthly. Um, with Maria Walsh and Gilda Williams and Matt Hale. And uh, I'm just going to turn now to Maria. We're, we're, we've been talking about a feature. Um, it was what it was, Modern Ruins by Gilda. And um, we're now going to just have a quick chat as well um, with Maria about her, really a review, I suppose, of a series of films. Now, the, the, they're by Hannah Sortel, as I mentioned mm-hmm. before. Now, this... Um, trying to make a, a, a leap in a way, but it's not... And you, you're going to have to help me here, but... There is a mention of entropy or anthropology, and and Levi Strauss in your review, um, Maria, d- does that somehow or other connect with ruin? I mean, uh, or at least in some way. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mention uh, Levi Strauss because Hannah Sawtell mentions yes. Levi Strauss, yes. so it's kind of uh, trying to think about her films in the light of which she's kind of um, articulated in the press release. And um, insofar as, I I think in a way, I mean, while that reference is in the press release, I think her films go beyond uh, Levi Strauss in the sense that, uh, insofar as I understand it, um, Levi Strauss's notion of anthropology, which I think towards the end of his life he thought was a better term for the study of men than anthropology, because... Um, just say that word again, anthropology. Anthropology. Okay. So going, it's connected to entropy, that that within um, civili- any civilization, that there's always um, a process of degeneration at work. A kind of collapsing of edifices, really cultural and perhaps architectural. So, in that sense, it could relate to yeah, that does uh, sound connected to the me. ruin, in a sense. Um, and I think that because he's writing at a time, um, well, when was that? The date of that book was 1955. Oh yes. I mean, that's like um, you know an early. I would say it's still. Moder- it's a modern period. Yeah, not, not um, a postmodern. Not or a postmodern. So I think that um, obviously she's been reading this and the Entreludes, that's the name of the um, series of films, of which there are six and they all have different titles. And they were made especially for this uh, cinema context. Oh, right. Um, she does make um, uh, video films, but she also works with objects. So in a kind of installation uh, gallery situation normally so this these were made with the cinema in mind as well as her own you know in ongoing interests so um, I think that she uh, for me the films um, go beyond this kind of modern idea of of entropy as something that insofar as I understand it could be quite melancholic and Gilda mentioned sadness and um you know, nostalgia, kind of loss in relation to ruins. But I think what what I quite liked about these films, because she's dealing with the digital, which of course isn't um, a modern technology, you know, it's a, what would you call it? It's a... Highly contemporary. It, yeah, well, it's certainly, <laughs> uh, and it has, pr- you know, pr- I mean, proliferation is a kind of a key word in the, um, in what I wrote yeah. and, and um, in what she seemed to be talking about. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, that 
these uh, sorts of images, um, they're very different. In fact, some people would say that digital images aren't really images in the way that we understand images at all because they don't relate to the world in a kind of a representational sense. They're not relating to an outside um, as, you know, the traditional image, like the photograph, let's say. They're related to the photograph, but different. So I think that what I thought was really interesting is that all of these films, um, and I'm coming back to the kind of Levi reworking of the modern uh, idea of anthropology um, or entropy as a kind of... Um, um, collapse and uh, disintegration yeah. of things. What what's I thought really interesting is that all of these uh, films use um, imagery culled from the internet. So um, so it's all. But uh, she talks about, and I uh, would would see them also as. I mean, this kind of imagery. It is detritus. It's cultural detritus. Like there's more images than we'll ever need, or than anyone will ever. We'll never watch the images that. Uh, are imaged on the internet. I mean, there's just like images, a proliferation of images for no one. They're just out there. There's no one watching. Um, I mean, they're put up on Facebook, but the person's only got two friends. Or, or, or there's, or there's like hundreds of friends, but then you know they're like no one's has got the time to look at you know no. each one and to give them any attention. So like, they're like kind a viral of, proliferation. A viral proliferation. So they can be cast away quite easily. But there's also images that nobody really looks at as well. I mean, there are things that we don't even know about that are on the internet. I just know that they're out there. <laughs> <laughs> like again, this is like the kind of alien thing as well. They're out there, but uh, you know they're out there. <laughs> But you yeah. don't know what they are as such. But, you know, it really has proliferated. I mean, everyone talking about the digital today, it's like, um, you know, how can we if we if you want to deal with it, how can you get a grasp of this um, medium? Because it isn't a tangible material object. So what's really interesting then, I think, is that taking this kind of imagery, uh, a kind of like virtual detritus, if you like, and trying to actually imbue it, I think, what uh, force it to signify some kind of materiality, some kind of to put pressure on these images. That was like a kind of I see it as a kind of recuperation of uh, the degeneration of entropy. And it's like a kind of a regeneration, but not in a purely positive sense that regeneration, that term has now had in terms of architecture and development of spaces like um, the Battersea yes. um, Power Station, where it's all about regeneration is a kind of like catchphrase. But this is like a kind of a, I felt it was very positive, um, humorous, but also critical um, in relation to both um, waste and detritus, but also some kind of idea of forcing something, putting pressure on something to signify the human, but in a hu inhuman uh, form. In, that, did you say inhuman? Inhuman, yes. because the dig I see the digital as an, an, an inhuman technology. That doesn't mean it's uh, against the human. It just means that it's, um, it's got a different kind of economy. Um, it doesn't need to be looked at what I what I said before like in the way that um, um, you know a painting is made to be looked at yes I, I do but I do yeah. I, I, there is a, I can see the difference so um, there's a, uh, it, uh, I, maybe I'll just say in the first film which I I tried to because the films are really kind of quirky and unique yeah um, I tried to um, both describe them but also create some kind of theoretical apparatus 
that allowed me to interact with them. Um, so I had to leave out quite a lot of description. But there, in the first film, um, you know, there was so much, even like it's only a couple of minutes because uh, the whole screening was about 25 minutes. So each film is about four to five minutes. Um, and they kind of move in a sequence with just a, a short gap, very short gap in between, so that you know it's the end of one and the beginning of another, but it's not, um, you know, there aren't any um, titles. No, sure. Um, so yeah. you've got a like a list uh, handout at the cinema. Um, but in that first film, what was what I didn't say that's really interesting, I did talk about the screen, um, this idea of uh, lines this kind of alien screen and the sound, because the sound is really important in these films. Um, all of the sound is taken from the internet. Um, again, it's like rescuing um, sound and creating, again, a kind of human interface, I think, with the digital. And the second part of that first film, which is called Rogue Tincture, the other thing to say is that the titles are really uh, interesting. Um, very, I mean, to use a very... A common word, but it does have a meaning here. They're, you could say that they're poetic. They're really punning on different kind of cultural references and um, punning on the words themselves. I think that there's like, you know... Um, this was like Rogue a, Tincture Remit. Yeah, Rogue tinc tinc Tincture. Tincture. <laughs> remit. That's a drink, isn't it? it it's <laughs> <laughs> have a tincture, darling? It could be, um, but it's a rogue one um, because the second part of that little film has this cracking noise and at the same time this kind of black um, very fine veined line comes across the screen as if the screen is going to break right. and then there's a smash and it splodges like a kind of viral insect Right. Um, so it's this kind of again putting pressure on that smooth surface yes. of the interface yeah. in quite a humorous way um, so I felt it was not melancholic in the way that I see the Levi Strauss's um, aspect of entropy, that, but that this was critical, but also had a very kind of humorous, playful yeah. reworking of detritus. And, and referring to the, the space you're in and the, and the fact that you're at a it's cinema, it's that cinema you're, you're watching yeah. this film, this digital film, whatever kind of film it is, in the cinema. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. you mentioned that you had lots of vertical bands that were a bit referring to the what, what curtains that well, used to be across the screen that's right, and yeah. drawn back at cinemas. I think because it was like op, it was almost like op art. It, was, it wasn't moving, but when you're looking at it, it begins to kind of move yeah, in the, the way that Bridget Riley yeah. um, might be moving. Yeah. Uh, the other thing to say, what was really unusual about these films um, is that they're culled from the internet, but they're translated into high definition. Right. So they have this really eerie quality that I think um, reminded me of what Gilda was saying as well about this um, intense... Something You said something about some kind of um, intensity of... You mean to do with ruins? Yeah. 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 I mean, you're talking about surf like surfaces. The surfaces were made uncanny, um, again, in this, what I would say is a very flat medium, but she gave it this kind of really porous quality right. by the high definition, by the use of high definition. But low original. Yeah. Which is cu a curious thing to do. I mean, you wouldn't normally, you hopefully, <laughs> yeah. start high and then deteriorate yeah. through use. Or yeah. Something. That's the common. Failing. So um, that was a really interesting process, I think. Um, you also mentioned um, the word mimicry. Yes. Um, um, there is more to this mimicry than meets the eye. Mimicry, as the Western philosophy, is usually seen in negative light. 
What, what, how are you relating mimicry to this? I was afraid you were going to ask that one. <laughs> Sorry. Well, <laughs> well um, because this is something I'm quite interested in. My, obviously, I think when you're, well, you know, when you're looking at work, you want, you know, you've got your own... Yeah, of course. Um, philosophy or whatever. Yeah. But also, in you see, in anthropology, uh, because, because it was an anthropological sort of reference point... Um, Mimicry in anthropology is much more. Again, it's it doesn't relate to uh, representation in the way that in Western philosophy, mimicry would be seen as like a second copy, a poor copy of of a, a prior original. Whereas in anthropology, it's much more to do with like contagion. So it's to do with likenesses between things that actually don't really look alike, but could have an, a different kind of affinity, different kind of economies, and different classifications. So what was really interesting again was like. I think that images in the digital, that they actually relate to each other rather than to uh, human beings as such. Um, but there's all in terms of how one might classify them in a Western way. But if thinking about this kind of idea of mimicry as contagion, um, and particularly because the, how the audience were interacting, I mean, that's the thing about cinema. You are, you know, people say, oh, it's like you're in a dark room by yourself. But I mean, why do people still go to the cinema when you could stay at home, uh, it's quite nice sometimes to go to the cinema and <laughs> yes. actually share that viewing experience with other people. So um, the sounds, the you know the way that people were responding to them, um, particularly this coughing, yeah, which was yeah. very um, enveloping because of the uh, sound surround, and um, everyone just started coughing. Um, so this is like this is uh, uh, like a kind of simultaneous. Simult um, what in anthropology would be called sympathetic identification, where um, you mimic uh, by taking in um, the other, and this could be another image, another thing. There isn't that distinction between um, things, human and inhuman as well, begin to kind of, those boundaries begin to, not blur, but they begin to be unsettled at the edges. And this is a yeah for me this is quite an interesting term to rethink because um, I think it really gets I think it gets bogged down in Western philosophy and it gets very um, caught up with um, loss the loss of the real uh, whereas thinking about it in a more um, anthropological way I think there's an actually a multiplicity of of um, of ways of being and interacting. So this seemed to be also proposed by the imagery and the way that uh, the whole scenario started kind of responding, Thank including you. myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to bring up, um, uh, very inspired by that, um, the work of, a, of an artist, not in my article, named Ryan Tricarton, who you might know, who actually builds in uh, his videos uh, the ruins of the internet. So there are chat mm. rooms and sites. So he's built them. It's a non-space that's, that's, that's built to be in ruin. And, and in these wonderful videos, which uh, follow him pursuing these corridors and the imagined spaces of cyberspace, he speaks the language of the internet, these sort of half-finished lines, um, you know, um, words that are barely able to really create dialogue with other people in them, these weird claustrophobic space. He creates the space to then see it in ruin. So it's another kind of relationship, mm. which is also quite funny mm. about the relationship mm. with the digital. Listen, I'm really sorry, guys. You've been absolutely marvellous. We've come to the end of our half an hour. 
Um, I just wanted to say, Maria, I didn't say that you are the, in art theory at Chelsea School of Art, Chelsea College of Art, College and, Design, of art and Design, part, now, of, part of, of the, the University, University of, of the, arts, the London. arts London. Thank you very much for helping <laughs> with that. And Gilda is a writer and lecturer at Goldsmiths London. Um, and we just want to take a slight opportunity here, which yes. was just to say something in behalf of the philosophy department at Middlesex University. Yes, yes. as a lot of people uh, know, it needs to be really highlighted that Middlesex University's philosophy department has been cut undergrad and graduate levels. It is, of course, um, one of the finest philosophy departments in the country. They have extremely high research uh, levels, a, you know, worldwide reputation, plenty of students interested, and in a sort of false economy um, at the expense of education, of course, and learning, they have cut the department. Please sign the petition to protest against this. A lot of people have. There's a lot of momentum behind um, stopping this kind of thing. Do you know the address of the of the petition? It, but it, is it, it's presumably not on their web, their own website because that's the university website. We'll try and find out and Please. we'll edit it on the end of the program. Great. Thank you, listeners, um, for listening to the program um, with my guests Gilda and Maria. And um, while I take this other opportunity, um, we do a special subscription offer for, for residence listeners um, which is about 30% and you just email subs at artmonthly.co.uk and say you heard this on resonance and please you demand your 30% and um, thank you ever so much thank indeed. You. Thanks very thank much. you very much. If you are interested in the Save the Middlesex philosophy campaign you can visit their blog site which is savemdxphil.com that's savemdxphil.com phil.com. Here you can sign an online petition to stop the closure of philosophy programs at Middlesex University. <laughs>